What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to Properly Howard, a podcast that reviews classic films and other pulp fiction. Today we take a look at John Carpenter's The Thing. This is a remake of The Thing from Another World, which is not nearly as gory and has criminally less Wilford Brimley. Kurt Russell fights an alien life form that some pesky Norwegians unwittingly unleashed on the world. With me to discuss this film, as always, is Dr. Anthony Ladon. Brimley without the mustache is a little disconcerting. Oh yeah, I mean that's... uh... I think that's why they went with it. I'm sure he came on set with the with the mustache and carpenters like that's got to go. Honestly, like I would love to see him play more ping pong on screen. <laughs> I didn't know that I was missing that in my life. As soon as I saw, it, I thought, I hope that that's what this whole movie's going to be about. <laughs> <laughs> <Hope this is laughs> underrated sports movie, yeah, yeah. the thing, it's going to be like a. 20-year story arc where Brimley finally gets his mustache in the end. <laughs> he wins it back. He starts with a very small tournament in Antarctica. <laughs> ends he, up going, going to China. And... He, lo- he loses his first match and they take his mustache as, as uh, punishment. <laughs> but he has to go, he has to do this. It's a supernatural, uh, it's sort of like Mortal Kombat, but it's ping pong as he's trying to get his, his mustache back. Thing pong is what we call it, Emily. <laughs> thing, thing pong. Um, how should we start? I mean, there's a lot of places we could start. Uh, I feel like it's funny. Like you know how like the concept of the uh, uh, the Mandela effect, where like you remember something like for certain a way that it it wasn't. And uh, I, oh, I sure, mean, I yeah. just I just watched this movie, and you just reiterated that Wilfred Brimley did not have a mustache. And in my mind, I'm like, no, he had a mustache the entire time. Really? Because I just—it's not natural. It's not a natural thing for him to not have a mustache. Like it must so have hurt in, to get it so off. So in order, in order for your brain to avoid the trauma, you actually filled in the blank. You, yeah. You, you colored in the mustache in your imagination. I don't even think because I don't think that thing comes off. I think they—they they must have given him the Caesar Romero treatment from when he was the Joker, and they just painted over it. Is that what they did? Yeah, so the Joker in, in the Batman series always has his mustache is painted white to match his face. Because <laughs> Cesar Romero wasn't going to shave his mustache for the role. I love, I love that they wanted him so much. <laughs> Could you imagine? Just think, like, this is a deal breaker. Like, well, I'll just paint it. I guess if it was like, uh, what other famous mustache is like Tom Selleck? Which he's when he shaves it off. I mean, it's like at that point you're like, well, this is this show's gonna tank. They took off his mustache for friends, and then it was sort of like, well, that's the end. This this can only be the last season. <laughs> What's the thing? It's like it's like that's such his thing, right? Like, and it's like when you see him without it, you're just like, all right, okay, now you're gonna just act, I guess. Nobody cares. Do you feel like you have more affection for Kurt Russell? Or John Carpenter? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, I was thinking, like, how do I begin this? Do I, what? What is your history with, you know, either one of these guys? And I thought, I wonder which Steve would prefer more. I'm trying to think of my, yeah, because I mean, obviously, there's so much Kurt Russell, so many of Kurt Russell's stuff that I like is is because of a John Carpenter film. Mm, yeah, sure. and then therefore. You know, maybe my appreciation for Kurt Russell is because of those moments. Um, but I'm trying to think when the first time I ever saw Kurt Russell, it might not have been uh, a Carpenter joint, though. Because I mean, what's uh, Big Trouble? Is that 
87, 86? It's late 80s for sure. And I feel like that probably is my first exposure. That's 86. To Kurt Russell. I did not see the thing until like a couple years ago. Really? I did not see Escape from New York until you and I saw it together for the first time in preparation for Escape from L.A. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you didn't see the thing. What prompted you to watch the thing? Uh, my son. It's it's one of his favorite movies of all time. Really? And you had, and it's a Kurt Russell. It's a Kurt Russell, John Carpenter film that he watched independent of me. This is bizarre. This is the most sci-fi premise of this podcast. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then it's on. It's not only something, it's hard to believe. It's it's <laughs> very difficult to believe. So, so this is my first viewing of the thing. Uh just watched it last night for the first time. Rewatched probably the first half of it this morning. And uh and then I also Watched for the very first time Thing hmm. from the Outer Space. Oh, no, no. The Thing from, from Another the World. world. Yeah. Uh, 1951. Which you might have watched for your horror class. Yeah, I I, I watched some of that this morning, uh, sort of skipping around. And I hadn't. I thought I had, but um, it, it was not on the list. It's a interesting movie. I guess, I mean, I I enjoyed it. It was sort of like... About an hour in, I thought, am I still enjoying this or am I a little bit bored? Um, yeah, I was, as I was flipping through it, kind of skimming through it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd for sure be bored. And I understand that, like, filmmaking was different then, but, um, and I, I'll let you uh, continue, but I, I think that there's there's something about the remake. I mean, they, they're able to take those boring moments and, and do a whole lot more with it. Yeah. It's 51, and it kind of, begins as a classic World War II movie, really. It's like all of the characters that you would find in a World War II movie, except for they're not in Japan, they're not in Europe, they are they're near the North Pole. And you've got this wisecracking newspaper man and a couple, I don't know, sexy dames <laughs> that... uh you know they're kind of wisecracking themselves, and um, little kind of a side plot. Like one of the military bigwigs has something for a secretary that happens to be in the in the middle of nowhere at this station. And I I kind of enjoyed that. I kind of enjoyed that whole premise. And then I found out afterwards that. The Carpenter joint follows the short story more closely. Mm. And uh, the monster looks a little bit more like Frankenstein and sort of maybe an homage to the popularity of Frankenstein. And when Carpenter comes along, he decides he's going to... I guess the the screenplay undergoes a couple iterations, but they, they decide to be a little bit more closely aligned with the short story which was called who goes there and the key difference is that in this 82 version the monster's greatest power is that he can shapeshift right and he he can take the form of someone and mimic you perfectly so that your even your best friend can't tell that you're the monster uh none of that none of that is in the 51 iteration but is that in and that's in the short story that is in the short story. Oh, that's quite it. I mean, that's that's a significant choice. It is. Like, I mean, you might make the argument that's the that's the movie. Yeah, that is the reason for the remake. We've been talking this whole season, like, why do a remake? And here, Carpenter, he, you know, he, I've seen an interview with him. He he said he really was affected by seeing the fifty one film in the theater. And then, so then, you know, so he had an affection for that movie. So why remake it? Well, this is a great reason why. One of the key features that makes it most interesting wasn't in the movie. And so he decided he's going to make it more closely aligned with the original short story. That is a great reason for a remake. 
Right. No, that's great. Cause that, yeah. Cause like, yeah, you say we talk about like, why, what's the, like, is it a cash grab? Is it a, this, is it a, that? Like, mm -hmm. it's like, there's a, there's a better story to be told and he gets to do it. So I will say one more thing about the original thing from another world. I think that it could almost be the original alien. I feel like the, the film alien, which is set in outer space. I feel like, I could probably come up with a list of 20 things that the movie Alien borrows from a thing from another world. Hmm. It's almost like Thing 82 is a remake of Who Goes There or an adaptation of Who Goes There, whereas Thing from Another World's remake is actually the movie Alien. That's interesting. Hmm. Anyway, tell me more about uh, why you like this movie, Steve. So it is, yeah, it's, it's funny, like I said, that I took me so long to get to it. Um, it. It's almost, yeah, it's almost nonsensical considering the ingredients. So I, when I saw it, so obviously didn't see it in 82. I was busy watching E.T., I guess. Mm -hmm. um, or re-watching Star Wars. Sure. So watching this later and hearing like, oh, you know, I'm like, I know I like John Carpenter. I know I like Kurt Russell. I know this is... Um, a now beloved uh, horror film. So there was obviously some expectation, and uh, I was I was I was excited because I had forgotten that I had, uh, and I think we've talked about this uh, during the the Fly and uh, American Werewolf in London is that I used to collect Fangoria cards, mm -hmm. and yeah. this was one of those that I had. I would get in cards all the time, and like I had forgotten that that where those images that were in my in my head were from and so it was fun to see a lot of the the um the, the effects because they brought, brought me back to my my fangoria card days um so there was a little bit of nostalgia for having recognized things what that was I the image that they chose for the fangoria uh the ones that i had were the uh the head the upside down head uh oh with the spider the head yeah yeah that <laughs> okay. and then um uh one of like when the dog's uh head sort of opens up and the tongue's just hanging out yeah um, okay i get so it. those were those were what so it was it was really cool to have that but i man i really right out the gate i was like this movie is awesome like it's just uh it it's it might be i haven't seen all of it it might be carpenter's best work um I he still has said it it's it is his favorite that he's it's done. it's incredible what he does um john carpenter has, has an interesting career um like he almost exclusively makes cult classics but you don't know that until like way after the fact. So like, what's he doing, right? Like, what is he doing that isn't appreciated enough at the time? You know what I mean? Like th that's a, that's a significant, uh, uh, it's a significant trick to pull off at all, much less repeatedly. So it's an odd thing that he's able to do this. And then you have to do like upon further review, this is great. But um, couldn't it be, I mean, it's it's sort of like, is it Bill Walsh or is it Joe Montana or whatever? But I feel like some of that has to do with Kurt Russell. I mean, you could almost say that he exclusively does cult classics as well. Potentially, yeah. I mean, Tombstone is certainly not a cult classic. It's considered uh, beloved. Um, oh, it was it was loved at the time for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think part of it is there is a a B movie quality that John Carpenter brings that isn't due to like a lack of talent. You know, like some B movies are like, oh, you don't have the budget, you don't have the this, you don't have the that, so you create this B movie. Like it's I think it's an affection. Mm -hmm. So I think I think he he sees these films through a lens that he really enjoys. And I think people don't know how to enjoy it. Maybe right out the gate in, in many cases, I know that this got a lot of like really bad reviews when it first came out because it was just so gory and it was, they were like, it's nihilistic. It's boring. It's moved slow. And it, there's no positive um, outcome here. It's just, it's bleak. And I mean, I can't imagine that, 
that was that rare in 82, but I guess compared to the aforementioned ET, it certainly doesn't have that same <laughs> vibe. Um, well, it's funny. It's, it's funny how things have turned because I feel like it seems like the opposite of that could be a reason to not like a movie or, or pan a movie now. Like it's right. Oh, it's too Hollywood. Yeah. Right. It does too happy ending. Yeah. Too, too much of a Pollyanna Shandine or something. It's funny that you say B movie quality. Cause I was going to ask you if Kurt Russell was your favorite B movie actor. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely uh, like Kurt Russell's fantastic to watch. Cause it's like, he clearly has a John Wayne influence. And but it's way more like charming. And and he's, he's just he's, he just has that he has that quality, has that charismatic quality, even when he's doing nothing. Yeah. And well his his eyes are he has storytelling eyes. It's really something. And this movie, I was kind of surprised, maybe his most subtle yeah. acting. Like I I haven't seen everything he's been in. For sure, but he doesn't kind of ham it up. There's that first scene where he is playing chess with the chess wizard computer. Yeah. And you get that little glimpse of, yeah, Kurt Russell, I'm going to like this. But he kind of doesn't ham it up for the rest of the film. I think that's one of the positives of this film is everybody plays it pretty well. Like, I mean, you, you. I buy it. Like I buy a lot of like this. They're they're isolated, and then once it's just a movie about paranoia, um, like the Carpenter has a very uh he, a very deft hand on on being patient mm-hmm. in between like a big and like there's big scenes in this, you know, especially from eight from an eighty two perspective and the amount of like graphic effects that are going on. I mean, this is this is a lot right for 82 um and it's not subtle when it comes to the effects but then the rest of the movie is really like played softly it's really um it's it's such an interesting uh directorial choice that he does like i mean it just when it's when when the when the creature shows up it's just mayhem and it is gory (laughs) and the sounds are so intense and Mm -hmm. then then you get back to being isolated again, right? And I really just think that it's it's such an it's it's such a good job because you do like you start getting more tense about the paranoia than you do when the when the alien shows up. And if you're gonna try to do that with a film, the score has to be spot on. Yeah. And we were just talking about Cape Fear and how the score kind of almost ruined that film. Mm. This is the exact opposite. So much of this film is about the anticipation of what's around the corner. Um, not that it fails to deliver when it wants to get gory or whatever, but it really is a psychological thriller as much as it is a slasher. And if you're going to do that, if it's going to be a psychological thriller, you are going to lean heavily on the score. And I thought this was almost the perfect score for this film. Well, that's what I love about Carpenter doing, doing his own music too. Like it, um, it adds like i mean it's it's such a you don't see that right i don't know of any other directors that that will do the music as well and hmm. and it's so it's like he gets to really control the narrative right not only visually but but uh, audibly and i think that that's 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 a pretty cool spot to be in and he, and it's so like like the same thing with like like escape from new york the do 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 yeah boom 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 like there's like he he knows how to have some fun with it i mean he even made the song big trouble in little china which is a lovely music video if you haven't had the chance to watch that um it's he's just so like i think like there's a certain amount of fun that happens too i think when in a carpenter film and this is one of those ones that where it's like it's not fun but it still is like it's a ride you know it's uh i don't know it's a real uh fascinating uh, thing to, to to break down a, a carpenter flick um because i mean like he's got other movies like starman and um you know which has got a, it's a totally different vibe um but uh but that's entertaining um but it has a it's there's some some you know there's some bleakness even though that one has a little bit more of a, of a positive overall tone but uh 
I, yeah, this has just got like there's just no there's no joy here. <laughs> but unlike Cape Fear, which was joyless, uh, this is still somehow fun. Well, I do get a fair amount of joy with a movie that begins with someone hanging out of a helicopter shooting a machine gun <laughs> at a wolf. Like there for me it's like perfectly encapsulates 1982. Yeah. <laughs> the kind of entertainment that I would have been interested in 82. Give me one of those bulbous helicopters flying low to the ground, a, a Norwegian hanging out the the side door with a machine gun. I mean, it's a great it's a great way to start a movie. Yeah, I it is. It's there's there's just like it's one of those movies like I don't I won't say like it's perfect, but in terms of what it's trying to do, it's done about as well as you could imagine. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's I'm looking like I'm reading reviews at the time and versus, you know, much later where people like have had a chance to kind of go back and they kind of do like a mea culpa over like, no, no, this is this is maybe one of the greatest horror films of all time. You know, and it's amazing how like that's the shift. The shift was this is junk. Uh, this is unnecessary. This is a waste of time. This is bleak. To like now, you have people going, uh, yeah, this is this is the quintessential uh, horror film. It's amazing. It's uh, it's it's DNA is in a bunch of other movies. You know, like that happened after. I think that's that's a that's a fascinating turn, right? And like even to the point where Carpenter uh, was pulled from other projects um, because of of the poor reception for this film. Uh, he really? was supposed he was supposed to direct Firestarter and they pulled him from it. They actually I think they had I forget it was a multi uh film deal that he signed with Universal, I think, after the success of um Halloween. Um because he had done Escape from New York the year before. And um and so he uh so they just bought him out. They bought him out of that of, of the deal. Hmm. And so so he's and he talks about it, he's always all you know, here I make this movie that's like now, well, well, con, you know, revered and, and thought of to be as this like, not just good, but like a classic, right? Like, like, mm -hmm. and he says how much different his career might have been. You know, he's all, I love making uh, Starman and Christine and Big Trouble in Little China. He's all, but I just can't help but think like, what, what would my career have been uh, had this been received the way it is now back then? Well, maybe it wouldn't have been as good. And that's possible, right? Maybe he does. Maybe he gets more of the making those Hollywood films that we just talked about, where would have been criticized more now, as opposed to you know having people who believe in him make you know give him a green light to make a movie. Right. Yeah. Now, I don't think that this is a perfect movie. I mean, there are a couple of things that were pretty laugh. Like I laughed out loud a couple of times. There's this one moment where Richard Dysart. Mm -hmm. he's the guy from uh, L.A. Law. Right. Like he, <laughs> he's trying to protest, you know, being set apart or tied up or something. And he, he just has this co comically bad line read. There's also the problem with the Norwegian. He's trying to throw a grenade and it, <laughs> it just slips out of his hand and goes backwards. <laughs> hey, man. It was re it was really really bad. I mean, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, that would that probably could happen to me. <laughs> that, that's what it, it's the only possible thing that would happen if I was handling a grenade. I uh, I went bowling a month and a half ago and I injured my finger and it has not healed. I would for sure drop a grenade behind me. <laughs> it just it looks so bad. It looks so bad. Um, but I'm nitpicking. This is a great movie and. It, it, this is the kind of movie that I absolutely wouldn't have watched even four years ago. Just n just no interest in the horror genre. And now I kind of see that I was missing out on some really great films. Yeah. No, no, for sure. And, I, and, and as we've discussed over and over, because of your sort of... Uh, you know, your little journey into the horror mm -hmm. uh, genre and like, and, and the idea that like, well, at, I think even, even going into it, it was kind of like at best, these will be like guilty pleasures. Um, 
as opposed to like, oh, there's actually some really good stuff going on. And there's there are there are stories you can tell in the horror genre. And I and, and especially with this, we talk about like science fiction and how they tend to uh, deal oftentimes in, in allegory. Horror can do a, a little bit of that, too. And I just love how the horror in this movie, like I mentioned, I'm like, it's yeah, the the thing, the the alien is is grotesque. And ah, my gosh, we've got to kill it with fire. But the not knowing is the real scary part of this mm-hmm. of this movie right i mean it's like like because i because you mean well maybe maybe mcready really is the the alien the whole time you know like there is those the, that, there's a good chunk of that we're like we don't know like you don't know yeah i feel like we ought to talk about the ending so i was thrilled by the ending and i think that the reason why is that when he finally blows up the alien I was going to be I was set to be really disappointed uh, by oh, yeah. the ending because when he blows up the alien at the end and walks outside I just kind of thought that was that was kind of underwhelming. Uh, right. It didn't didn't really do much for me. Um and then he goes and sits outside and Childs comes up and then I realize oh they're going to do something different. And not only do they underplay the ending, they leave the ending open ended. Yeah. So I that love it. You are wondering, did the alien win? And which one of these two is the alien? Or I guess one another reading would my least favorite reading would be neither one of these guys is the alien. Um, but I don't know how how do you understand the ending here? I, well, I think that's the whole point. I don't think the ending is supposed to be known. And because that would, because that's the whole movie. The whole movie is you're trying to figure out who is and who isn't. And even if they aren't, how for how long, right? Like, I mean, it's because, uh, you know, I love how they actually, you know, you forget that Childs is not a part of this. Because he was he was the one back at at the station while they were gonna go and and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you know deal with this and then they just sort of just forget about it. So it's like, well, we don't know how many because that's the thing about the alien, right? Like, there's blood. That's part of it. It's all over. Um, and and then yeah, and you, so if it blows up, like you don't know if any piece of that hit um, hit hit McReady or 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 not and. I think the whole point is like it ends, it ends right where it began essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they either, they either kill each other. One is the alien or one is a human or uh, they just kill each other. They could kill each other as humans out of paranoia. Like, so that's, and that, so that tension just stays and um, you know, or the, in the other, your other alternative, like you said, is less interesting where they're both humans, but they probably both just die. They're just probably going to freeze to death. Yeah. The thing that's interesting is that child's comes out says, where were you got lost in the blizzard? Uh, then I found my way back and what do we do now? Well, let's just sit here and see what happens next. And then McCready shares his whiskey bottle with Childs. And at that moment, in my mind, I'm thinking back, wait, they de- they decided early in the movie to do their own food because mm-hmm. they want to make sure that, you know, no little even molecule of the alien could you know, contaminate their food. And so Childs takes a drink out of his bottle. So they're swapping saliva and either. So, and then, and then McCready laughs. Does he laugh because he's the alien and he thinks I gotcha. Or does McCready laugh because he thinks, ah, I know that the real Childs would not not have, have accepted it. Yeah. Yeah. Would not have accepted a swig from my bottle. Now your secret is revealed, and that's why he laughs. Uh, so it could work either way. And my my initial thought was, it, it's it's probably Childs. Childs is probably the alien. But it, it you know after sort of second third thought, it really leaves it open ended in a very satisfying way. Yeah. No, and I think that that's and that's to me that to me is like that's a this is a major bummer that this movie was not as well received because. 
I mean, I could totally see from from Carpenter's standpoint. It's like, ah, look what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> look what I look at. Look at how I ended it. Like how like it in just in terms of like a horror film. And I don't love the idea that a lot of these um, uh, critics are 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 blasting it for being bleak. I'm like, well, also like look at the genre. Look at what you, what, what is the movie trying to do? Like, what would I, I couldn't even imagine then if this movie turned out and we're like McCready's getting the Medal of Honor for saving the world. Like, <laughs> is that what you want? Like after that? Yeah, you got to give a medal to him and his pilot buddy and one of the dogs. They all yeah, get... I mean, it's just it's goofy to, to think that that there's a like, to me that ending is I, I mean, it's such a perfect ending for the movie you just made. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it's like I actually when I first saw it, I just figured he blew up with it and it was it. And then I had the same feeling as you did when the first time I saw it. I'm like, oh, this feels a lot like the ending of Predator. Obviously, Predators later were just like, oh, okay, champion of of the uh, you know of the monster. Mm-hmm. But but that's not the case. Or I mean, and even if it is, we don't know. And then they there's no peace for them, right? Like that's the thing is this movie ends with no peace. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's I think it's it, it's just a great ending to a, a really like I said it's bleak but it's still a fun ride. Is there a cliche, a device, or a trope that you enjoyed in this movie? Oh, I mean, there's like there's kind of, it's amazing how many there are, right? Like there's a lot of uh, especially for like horror and science fiction uh, tropes. There's just so many that are. Um, that are on display yet it never feels trite and maybe some of it is like 82 maybe there was some ground being broken that we you know i, I don't this i don't is a very kind of just primal elements i mean just just like it comes down to fire and dynamite and a yeah. blood test it it really brings it down to basics you know? yeah i'm trying to think of a movie and this might be the answer to the to, the, to your question i can't think of a movie where a flamethrower makes it worse flamethrower. This movie's got a helicopter and a flamethrower, a big old roll of dynamite. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lots of dynamite. What else do you want? You you throw those ingredients in with Kurt Russell, you have me every time. He just kills the dad from uh, from License to Drive, and it's like, I love that. I love the idea that they, that they reveal later that he was a, a human. Like, I think that's such a key... <laughs> element of the movie and that's a that's a that's a brave move you know for you know that's a brave choice to make right i mean you your hero killed a guy yeah i like the <laughs> i like the the guy who's in charge of the dogs kind of looks a little bit like a dog himself yeah he's got that little hang dog kind of look and which makes you like him it's like yeah. I, I like dogs and you I, know he had sex with the dogs but i mean <laughs> like you just know that and no and Carpenter does could and Carpenter does well. Carpenter does well to not like overdo it. Like he's like, you know, this guy has sex with these dogs. He's just it's it's that's why he's so sad. That's why he has to die. Yeah, he was. It was actually fine. Like he knows something. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there a tweak that you would make to improve this movie? I, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you could do something a little different, right? I mean, I will say that, like, uh, I think these effects are amazing even now. I mean, uh, they're clearly not like you know, it's not a, a thing that's happening. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but it's, it's such a, it's like I was so uh, enamored by the effects and able to go. Well, this is pretty great for '82. Uh, I was actually surprised it didn't take me out of the movie because, like, you know, you just mm. as soon as you start thinking of it as a movie, you can get taken out of it. But I was like, I was so fascinated by like the uh, the the stretching of faces and all of that. Um, I would say that maybe the one thing would maybe the moment when he puts the his hands through the guy's stomach <laughs> uh, and it chomps him that yeah. that the, the, the those belly. teeth <laughs> those teeth were too big. Like those are like Muppet teeth. Like those yeah. are like like jack o' lantern teeth. Yeah, those are jack o' lantern teeth. Like if it was if it was like a bunch of smaller, sharper teeth, I think this. I think I think that scene is a lot more powerful because that was the one point I'm like, ah, that was, that was a I only came up with two things, and one is the grenade thing. I just thought, mm-hmm. oh no, <laughs> come on, <laughs> you gotta you gotta do that better. You gotta like accidentally it drops to your foot, and then your foot 
<laughs> just something about that. The other thing is that the color of the blood is always an interesting choice to me. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the more bright it is, it feels like the less, the more comical the mu- the, the movie is going to be. Mm. Like, like Evil Dead 2, it's almost pink or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if it's like kind of like a horomedy, it's going to be sort of a bright color. I felt like this, the blood was a little bit too corn syrupy mm. sometimes. Yeah, and you wonder if that's uh, if that's just the way it was or if that was um, a choice because of the maybe the lack of color in the rest of the film mm, that mm-hmm. afraid that maybe it just would, it would just kind of gray out. And of course I don't, you know, I, I don't have the history with horror that other people do. So I don't know if this is like, dude, measured by 82, this was like really, really good. This yeah. Really quite good. possibly. Right. How good is Brimley in this, by the way? Oh my gosh. I was wondering, like <laughs> after watching him in this film, I thought, He's a he's a legit fantastic actor. Yeah, right? <laughs> and maybe it's the mustache. Maybe it's like, no, this is what his career would have been like if he had grown the mustache or something. Well, we're we're like we grew up, I mean, I don't know your first Brimley, but I mean, what like Quaker Oats commercials. Quaker Oats, Our House and Cocoon. Those are the mm-hmm. big 3, right? So he's so like his his role, like in my opinion, he only came into the universe to be an old guy that had advice. Eat your oatmeal and like. <laughs> well, and I watched. I, I used to watch Lonesome Dove, and so I, I'd like okay. to see him on a horse every now and again. Yeah, I mean, I and so it was nice to 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 journey back. And you you messaged me saying that uh, uh, Wilford Brimley is younger than you in this movie, right? I, I really at that moment I thought I should just die. I should just well i see i felt the opposite like when you said that and i i, I a lot of times i'll look at myself and i'll go gosh you know i really wish this this was different this was different i wish i was aging better in this way and then you see wolfer brimley and i'm like dude I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right I'm doing all right like if wilford brimley was at my class reunion i'd be like good god why are teachers here <laughs> oh my gosh uh, I don't know what I haven't looked at his filmography. I don't know if this is one of the earlier movies that he did. I want to see his baby picture. There's no way this guy was ever young. <laughs> this, is, this is what he looked like at 16. Yeah, Six, 16 years old, probably like eight years old with a full mustache, receding hairline. He's like it's like the reverse of a child actor, you know, child actors <laughs> who famously play 14 until they're 24 or whatever. Right. This guy was playing 44 at 12. Yeah. <laughs> his first movie was alongside Kurt Russell where he played his dad. Uh <laughs> It was computer wore tennis shoes and he was like 16 to Kurt Russell's 12. I love watching Brimley destroy those computers. Oh, it's just everything he did was amazing. Like it was so like, and, th- and that thing is, is he's real convincing in, he plays essentially three characters, right? Or maybe four, right? He's the, he's the, he's the wise scientist. Yeah. And then he you wouldn't normally cast him in that role, right? Right. Well, I wouldn't know if I'd cast him in any of these four roles. Cause I'm you don't, I mean, what about. do you want when you want Brimley? You want someone who's folksy. He's you want like yeah, a folksy so cowboy or something. So he's the wise scientist. He becomes the paranoid, uh, you know, uh, anarchist. Yeah. Then he becomes the uh, sad sack apologetic. No, man, I don't want to be alone. Let me back in. And then he becomes the villain, the alien villain. Uh I mean, and he does each one just super convincingly. It's, It's crazy to me how, like, don't sleep on Brimley's range. Well, he could have played every single character in The Breakfast Club and it would have been perfect. I was joking about the ping pong thing before, but he's legitimately good at ping pong. You could just tell. It's like he, it's not like this is the, his first game of ping pong. <laughs> Carpenter's like, you know, I'm, we're going to keep a ping pong scene in there because they just it's like people got to watch. Because they had a pool table and he was like, you know, if you really want to do this right, bring me a ping pong table. <laughs> Don't be bringing me no air hockey. 
No way they're playing air hockey up this far north. I, I love that these guys, like, this is exactly the kind of, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if, if, there's, if that's part of canon. Like, why are they up there? What are they studying? It never gets discussed, right? Right. Like, we know that the Norwegians are tinkering with extraterrestrials or whatnot, but why are the Americans up there? As far as we know, they're listening to Stevie Wonder playing pool cards roller skating roller <laughs> roller skating playing that's what i'm talking pong. about you're describing a movie that sounds insane and then you watch this and you're like yeah no this is great roller skating one day you're killing your friend the next i love and this drinking movie. copious amounts of jim beam just drinking like crazy i and but i but i think that's that's it's an it's an amazing thing, right? This movie because they're it shows too that like they're all so tight knit and they but like they're on this thing for so long that they're already a little stir crazy. They're on each other's nerves for sure. I love the scene where like the guy that looks like Louis C.K.'s older brother comes out <laughs> and yells, "Can you turn that down? I just got shot today." <laughs> I know, <laughs> like. It's enough that I was shot by a stray Norwegian bullet. Now I've got to listen to Stevie Wonder at all hours. See, the mistake that they made when making the uh, 2011 um, uh, The Thing, which apparently is a prequel focusing oh. on the Norwegians. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it was pretty pretty panned. And I don't think it's going to be a, a, it's going to be reviewed as a classic. I haven't seen it. Um I was actually more interested in it when I thought it was a remake, less interested in the prequel concept, mm, but mm-hmm. uh, I could potentially take a look-see. Um, the prequel should have just been those guys getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> no threat of aliens. This could have easily been a sitcom, for sure. Oh, man. That'd be a great idea. Uh, you just create the the Thing prequel miniseries, and it's just a bunch of guys that start off really enjoying each other until eventually they just get on each other's nerves. And then the next, like, the, the final episode is uh, they hear a, a Norwegian shooting. Steve, is this movie better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard film? It's a Howard plus four for me. Wow. That's, that's a lot higher than I was going to say. I'm just saying, I just think... There are the management of of the effects, right? This could have easily been a movie that's like, like we're gonna focus on the effects. We have these really cool things, um, and and that granted, there's plenty of scenes where the where those effects take center stage, but to to have the directorial hand that says, yeah, yeah, no, no, the, I know that the real terror is the not knowing. And so I'm still going to handle those sequences with the same level of detail and attention, if not more, because it's like Carpenter knows the effects are going to do what they're going to do. I don't have to do as much on those scenes because the effects are going to going to take that. But I'm going to make I'm going to I'm going to get you in the mind of a, of a maniacal Wilford Brimley. That's, you know, good <laughs> luck, Ron Howard. You're great, but you can't do that. Um, I was going to say Howard plus one Mm. and for a long, for most of the film, it was properly Howard. And then the ending just, just ticked it up that one last notch. And it could be that, you know, I'll revisit the film from time to time and it will climb. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is kind of, uh, this is, this film has had to grow on me a little bit. Gotcha. I will say, though, Steve, that you know my feeling about filming in snowy regions and wearing hats. (laughs) I feel like Kurt Russell knew that this is going to be an issue for me, and he decided that he was going to wear a sombrero. That that it that's that sequence is like I mean if if I'm always asking for hats in the snow this is like a guy saying all right I'm gonna wear I'm gonna wear the biggest what you, what you floppiest sombrero I can find on top of like my hood it, it's it's so funny <laughs> this is my helicopter this is my helicopter pilot 
hat that I always wear when I fly helicopters in America. It's a big floppy sombrero. And it could be it could be that I am, you know, so pro Carpenter and so pro Kurt Russell that I'm like I never was once taken out because of that. In fact, if anything, I'm like, dude, of course, McCready has that hat. Of course, he has that. It's hat. a legit Speedy Gonzalez hat because it's because <laughs> it's a hat where it's like where I could see him showing up at the first date. Like, I feel like I got a backstory, right? He shows up at the base and he's like. And he so he puts that hat on. They're like, "What are you doing?" Hey, we're gonna be in the snow for an awful long time. Doesn't mean I gotta dress like it. How about a little taste of the tropics, huh? Is uh, and is then he just insists on wearing that hat all the time? I feel like he grew the beard just to match the hat. <laughs> like if I'm gonna wear, I I've been waiting to wear this hat in a film, but I think it works better if I have a big bushy beard. Does he ever have a big bushy beard in any other films? Oh, I would definitely say the uh, the where he's Santa Claus. <laughs> yes, you're right. It'd be weird if he didn't. I forgot that he was <laughs> Santa Claus. Christmas Chronicles. Also North Pole. Uh, he's got a beard in uh, in Bone Tomahawk. Okay, well, maybe it was just that. Maybe it was just Brimley's mustache. They just shaved off the mustache. And like the alien finding a new host. And they just glommed on to, to Russell's chin. <laughs> Does this uh, movie have a half of the battle, one to grind moment? Uh, trust no one. Kill your friends. I would just say, no one needs to know what what's going on in Norway with Norwegians. Like, let the Norwegians do what they're doing. I think the movie was quite the opposite. We don't, we have no idea what's going on with Norway or Norwegians. That's the way it should be. Leave the Norwegians alone. I think this is the exact opposite message. I I have to disagree with you because I think this this is the exact lesson. This is what happens when you leave the Norwegians to their own devices. Keep an eye on the Norwegians, all right? If they say they're going to go somewhere and they're going to be on their own little private mission, go, no, 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 you're not. We're we're sending a chaperone. Norwegians need to be chaperoned at all times. Norwegians can't be trusted. Steve, we got an iTunes review I could read. And uh, is it bad? I don't know. It's a five star. Um, Uh. I don't really know. I mean, maybe you can help me interpret this. The title is Don't Be Like Me. It's five stars. And it's from Judge Tempest. Hmm. Here's what Judge Tempest writes. Although I wrote a review a long time ago. Make sure you do this small favor for a great quality podcast. Thanks for the laughs and insights. So that sounds good, right? Sure. Why why don't be like me then? Well, uh, maybe there's two separate concepts, right? Like, like hey, this is a great podcast. Also, uh, my life's a mess. <laughs> So the type like you have an opportunity, right? Like you have one, like you have, like, you're like look, I'm on the internet. Uh, I've got somebody's attention, right? I've got our attention. So maybe it's just for us. Like maybe there's something about uh, Judge Tempest mm-hmm. that specifically, like, maybe Judge Tempest is one of us from the future, this- <laughs> and we're trying, and and we make it, we make a choice that uh, leads to to something awful. And he's like, you know what? I can't just show up to their place because they'll be freaked out because I'll be an older version of one of them. Mm-hmm. So if I speak to their narcissism directly by giving them a five-star review, I know they're going to watch this. <laughs> they're going to look take a look at it. I feel like this is a hostage situation. And <laughs> although it's... code. It, yeah, yeah. It, although the message looks like they're taking great care of me, but there's something in the title that if you knew the code, you'd be able to break it and be like, here are my coordinates. (laughs) So we're actually being used right now. I think there's nothing to do with our podcast is that this is, Uh or it's, it's both. It's that you're being held hostage by me in the future. Ah, Oh, I like that. (laughs) I don't know what value your life has and why I would decide to hold you hostage. 
<laughs> anyway, Judge Tempest, thank you for writing a five-star review. I think people should try to emulate this. I feel like um, we appreciate these reviews, especially five-star reviews. We absolutely appreciate titles to these reviews that make us think. And, and you've, right. you've done that for us today. Don't sell yourself short, Judge Tempest. I think you're doing fine. Okay. <laughs> and then we got a couple emails. Both of these. Till we, re- till we read tomorrow that like Judge Tempest is like, he's just like the worst person ever. And you're like, well, you tried. I mean, they have one good redeeming quality, right? I mean, like you can't be the worst person ever. because right? Judge Tempest is Jim Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of rolling up his sleeves, listening to our podcast. Get some fired up. Okay, I got two emails. They both have to do with seeing you and your physical person, Steve. Oh. Yeah. The first one is, when do we get to see a photo of Steve's bitchin' Teen Wolf tattoo? It's from Peter. Nice. Uh, so do you want to answer, Peter? Uh, I guess I could put something on the old Instagram. How people follow you on the gram? Uh, they can follow me at Ozfest, A-U-S-F-E-S-T. It's like Ozzy's festival, but um, but not way more tame. <laughs> yeah, but very different. Yeah. Um, now, I haven't asked you this, but I've been wanting to know: Did your tattoo heal well? So far, so good. Uh, yeah, I don't like I I. Uh, I don't know when to stop like like being careful with it because I think like the surface of it is healed. I think I think it takes like months for like all underneath to be all mm. good. So you're like, still the, putting on the ointment. Still putting on a little bit of ointment. You'll keeping be 95 it. and the only part of your skin that hasn't aged is the Teen Wolf tattoo. <laughs> it's just going to be this, which is kind of the goal. Like I said, open casket, you sleeveless. Can, you can pass it down to your son. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm just, I'm, I don't know when to stop taking care of it. I, you know, I talk to some people like, oh, you just sort of stop whenever, you know, it's, it's fine. And that's, I mean, that's, a, that's an approach. Um, I just, I know that with uh, the size and the amount of color yeah. in the ink, you yeah. know, uh, I think it requires a little more it's an uh, odd, tending to. But it's, you're yeah. kind of in a unique situation. I feel like people that have tattoos with your level of detail usually going in phases, mm-hmm. you know, they'll yeah. do at least two or three phases of the tattoo. And so sure. it'll heal a, at least a little bit before that. Yeah. Uh, like, but you, you got it all at the same time. I, I mean, my, in my mind, and I just assumed that this was the case is that when you took off the saran wrap, half of your skin just fell off and now <laughs> you're across, you're on the wrong coast to have it fixed and yeah. you've just kind of been walking around dejected with a Teen Wolf's head clean off of your body. But apparently that didn't happen. Well, it sort of, I, yeah, it did kind of feel like I was a uh, um, newspaper and the surround wrap was silly putty. <laughs> so. That was me. Oh. Was, I just texted, that little whistle was me texting you the picture of the wrap after it came off my arm. For a second, I thought this was the arm. <laughs> and I was gonna be very concerned. <laughs> yeah, that's so, like it's it's you, you're you're the thing. Are <laughs> are you the thing, Steve? That's the the shroud of Jay Fox. Wow, that's disconcerting for sure. Because that's like your pus. Your like this is a piece well, it's, of art. It's ink. And this pus. is a, a piece of art that was rendered by your pus, and I mean it, it's colored pus. Yeah, now you get it. <laughs> that's that's disgusting. Not happy about seeing your discarded wrap. Now, did you keep it? I'm assuming it's discarded, but it is discarded because it's disgusting. I would have been tempted to keep it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's the grossest fruit roll up you've ever encountered. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to try this again. Nolan has written to ask. He says he lives on the East Coast. He wants to know if uh either of us would be doing a live show 
that he could attend. I said that I will not. However, you are doing stand-up yep. in uh, New York soon. Mm-hmm. So why don't you uh, tell Nolan about uh, it? Yeah, I uh, I will be for sure doing uh, a show uh, in Brooklyn on uh, the 26th of October. That'll be... Uh, gosh, what is the name of the place? I don't, yeah, it's it's a bar show. Um, Have you put it on steveosborne.com yet? Not yet. It's at the Talon Bar. Um, I will as we get closer. I only put like maybe a week and a half. So the Talon some, Bar in, in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. 9 working, working on 9 p.m. Working on maybe something at the Greenwich on Club. On October 26th. That's the 26th. And it, you might possibly be elsewhere as well, but yeah. that this one is for sure. This is for sure. I got I'm I've got a couple irons in the fire, and uh, that that'll all be as we get closer. It'll all be updated on on steveosborne.com. And uh, I will say, Nolan, that uh, I will be there too. I will be sitting in the back. I will have ordered both of my drinks of the two drink minimum at the same time. So you, I'll be the bald guy in the back with the two drinks. Maybe passed out, but it try That's to. I mean, if you can try to wake me up and uh, introduce yourself if you're there. Yeah, could we do it? We should we should do a live podcast somewhere if anybody wants to host us in uh, in New York. Um, but if it's not New York, then you're out of luck because I refuse to do any live podcasts that are not in New York City. <laughs> I get it. No, it's it's good to have a, a line where you draw. It has to be in New York City. It has to be at the end of October. Those are my two conditions. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I would ever enjoy doing a live podcast. Oh, uh, I've done them. They're fun. Yeah, sure. But like, I here's my feeling. When I enjoy a podcast, I've already decided that I'm in for the format that they're using. Okay. Yeah. And then, so let's say it's one of my favorite podcasts. You know, click play. To hear this week's podcast, and then I hear like the crowd wooing. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I feel like this wasn't what I was expecting. You don't you don't like live albums of of bands you like. I in fact, when I I don't like concerts at all. <laughs> Whenever I go to a concert, I think you know that I would prefer to be home listening to a radio right now <laughs> in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you hate people. <laughs> I don't want to see the see what the band has become after all this time. <laughs> I do like live comedy. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. Well, that tends to be a little bit more infectious. I think the laughter and you know, get to, you might hear a joke or something that you may never hear again. Uh, whereas you know, the bands usually have their set list, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of where it's going to go. So I mean, I guess I think there's there is a difference. People are sitting and maybe a little more polite. People are getting used. Maybe stuff. that's it. Maybe if I could sit during the concert, and then people bring food and drink to you, as opposed to you having to get up and uh, yeah. navigate a sea of of people. Um, Steve will probably post something about his New York tour, uh, such as it is yeah. on steveosborne.com. Oh, and Steve has indeed made. I don't know if it was a promise, but he's he's considering posting his tattoo on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I like not a bunch of people know I have it. It's not something that it's a it's an odd thing because it's like I'm happy with it. I'm really proud of it. I don't wear a sleeveless shirt, so it's kind of one of these things where it's like uh, the question is like, well, who's it for? Um, though I did go sleeveless the other night when we did like our mystery science theater type thing for the movie Over the Top. We all decided to go sleeveless for that.
cocoon of horror.